I'm Donna. And I'm Carrie. And we are Paranormal Chicks. Episode 216. Well, by the time this will have aired, Colby and I this weekend, we're going to a work party. And it's down at one of the casinos. And we, like, get a free room. It's pretty freaking awesome. Well, every year they do a different theme so you can dress up. And this year the theme is Disney. And so, um, Chloe and I are going as characters from Monsters University. That's hilarious. I'm surprised not Aladdin, but okay. I mean, what am I going to get? Like, what's her name? Jasmine? I ain't dressing as that. No, the genie. Hello. Yeah, but that'd be really hard. I'm not like painting myself blue. How would I do that? (laughs) That sounds like a sweaty mess. Oh, God. Yeah. Okay. So, this is what we're going as. Colby is going as the character Don Carlton, which I know, who knows his name, but he was like the older man that like went back to school and was in the fraternity thing with them. And then that guy actually ends up liking like the fraternity mom. Her name is Miss Squibbles and that's who I'm going to be. She wears her hair in curlers and she wears a moo. That's why you selected that. 100. I'm going to be so fucking comfortable and... I'm going to have, okay, the party's tomorrow and I don't have my costume yet. But Well, you have shoes. Yeah, Donna gave me some slippers. But uh, I just got to uh, glue googly eyes to my forehead because she has five eyes. What if they start sweating and your eyes start melting? You know, somebody said to use um, eyelash glue. Yeah. And so I was like, oh, that's fucking genius. So I'll need to do that and get a moo And I don't know, your slippers were very hot. I don't know if I'm wearing them. <laughs> And then Maddie, she listens to podcasts, but she works with me, and she's going as my kid, Squishy. Oh, gosh. And he has the eyes, too, and then <laughs> wears, like, a little fraternity sweater. Aww. I was like, you're going to be hot as shit. But Kobe, like, got him a little Monsters University hat. Like, the, it says, like, MU, it's blue, and he got him a, a mustache to wear, because the guy's mustache almost looks like a bat. And then got him some little fake glasses. glasses. He's, that's one thing I love about Kobe is that he gets into it. Like, he's yeah. like, we're dressing up, this is what we're going to do. Yeah. You know? I think Maddie's husband's going as uh, Sully. Oh, okay. What I really wanted to do was to go with Ross. Well, what you really wanted to do was Ursula. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But that Ursula costume, I read the reviews and I don't think it would have fit me. But, you know, Mike. Oh, I know. She's my favorite. (laughs) But I was like, God, I don't know. I don't have the cardigan and the this. Like, it would be so much easier just to go buy a $6 Moo at Walmart. Yeah. So I'm pretty excited. They have like a DJ and dinner and, you know, the whole shebang. And then you get a free night at the casino. Yeah. I mean, the bed sucks at that casino, but they have a bathtub. And don't come at me. I know it's gross. Don't even tell me how gross a bathtub is at a hotel. I don't want to know. But it's like a big, like like the size that you have at your house. Like a huge bathtub and then a walk-in shower separate at this casino. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to buy me a bath bomb. And I am going to take a bath while I'm there. <laughs> and it's going to be heaven because hotel rooms do not run out of hot water. Water. So I can yeah. sit there, let it get cold, put some more hot water in it. Like I could take the longest bath. Yeah. I'm gonna prune up. It's gonna be like swimming. My mom would always just let the hot water trickle. Yeah, but that eventually runs out. What do you mean? Like your hot water doesn't last forever. Like you eventually run it out of your water heater unless you have a tankless. Oh no, I thought but I mean for you to do at the hotel. Oh. Instead of turning it off, like just let it trickle then. Oh well that's a lot of water. Well, hopefully you soak in that bath. And y'all sleep on that hard mattress, and no monsters come and scare y'all in the night. Get it? Monsters, Inc., they come and scare mm-hmm. you. Mm-hmm. Thank you. Well, speaking of monsters and beasts and all the things. All the furry things. Mm-hmm. Jinx is back. I'm feeding Jinx to my jacks. <laughs> 
Uh, is he eating it like Marley? Because good lord. When I go to give him one of those treats and he sees me pull that bag out, literally drool starts dripping from his mouth. <laughs> that's gross. But I understand because, I mean, that's me with a dessert menu, Jack, so I get it. But yes, Tiffany saw Marley was asleep and that salmon topper is literally just like that is her, the sound. I like opened the the bag and her head popped up and she came right over, like trotting over and she needs her toenails clipped. So she tip tapped all the way over. I was like, yep, she addicted. And that's the thing. They have so many different recipes that has easy to digest proteins like organic chicken, superfoods like pumpkin, carrots, cranberries, probiotics for gut health, all the things that we love to give our pets, but also is yummy for the pets. Yeah, because I'm telling you, Marley never ate that stuff before Jinx. Every time she'd be like, nope, not going to do it. I, I can't do the Grinch, so can you do it? That's it. I'm not eating it. (laughs) That would be Marley. Everything. If you said pumpkin to her, she'd be like, "Uh, pumpkin poo. But oh my God, she loves this. The best part though, even if she didn't, because we know she is a picky eater, Jinx offers a 100% satisfaction guarantee. So if it's not your dog's favorite, you can get your money back. And that's huge. That's low risk. That's no risk. And the best part is that every Jinx purchase provides a meal for a shelter dog through their Give Bark program. Which is just super cute. It definitely sounds like you came up with that name. (laughs) So try Jinx today and get 15% off your first two orders online. Go to thinkjinx.com slash creep. Because your dog deserves a healthier food they actually want to eat and you can feel good about. So visit thinkjinx.com dot com slash creep that's t-h-i-n-k-j-i-n-x dot com slash creep (laughs) c-r-e-e-p so after we talked about the work party we went on to a little bit of a tangent that's going to become what's called an extra slice and you know who gets those extra slices patreoners this fucking beach Stole my line. (laughs) I love that you're like, fucking beesh. Well, because I didn't want it to be so intense. It's not that serious. It's just a word. Patreoners. (laughs) Yeah, so, okay. Well, we're going to thank all you Patreoners, but Patreoners get not only a bonus episode a week, plus bloopers, plus a Facebook Live every month, they also get extra slices. And that's where we go on a tangent. It's too much side talk in a story. It's some little tidbit about our lives. It's just too much for an episode. It goes off the rails, and we cut it. Corey cuts it and puts it to the side, and we release it randomly on Patreon. And all tiers get that. So, guess who else is getting that? Caitlin J. from Florida. Mona R. from California. Kara W. from North Carolina. Dewey W. from Washington. The Dewey W. system? <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> that legit was the like... The WWW. Never mind. Okay, bye. Kelly Ann H. from Georgia. And Paula G. from no location, I believe. 
she's from over across the pond, mm-hmm. but we need your address to send you stickers and a letter. Oh, because that's something else you get. You get stickers and a letter and you get all that shit. I don't know. That's weird. <laughs> stickers and a letter. So if you want all of that, just like these people get, head on over to patreon.com slash the APC podcast. Well, this week I'm actually doing a suggestion from the Facebook group and it comes from Jesse M. We're going to be talking about the Colbertson Mansion in New Albany, Indiana. It's named after William S. Colbertson. He was born in Newmarket, Pennsylvania on February 4th, 1814. His father died when he was young, so he was forced to work, help out his family, and his trade was in dry goods. However, when he turned 21, he left to try to find work in Louisville, Kentucky, because at that time it was known as a booming town and, you know, he had stars in his eyes, all the things. However, when he applied for a dry goods merchant at a place, that guy was like, hey, I don't need you right now, but maybe you can find some temp work in New Albany, Indiana until I need you. And it was just across the Ohio River, so it wasn't too far away. So William was like, okay, sure, whatevs. Because he was determined to make something for himself, and that he did. He found work at the town's largest dry goods store, and he worked there for years. From there, he partnered with Downey and Keys, and he became their business manager in the firm for about five years. And during this time in 1840, he married Eliza Vance, his first wife, and they had eight children throughout their marriage. Jesus. William continued to evolve in his occupation, and he partnered with his younger brother, John, who had recently came into town, and they created a dry goods wholesale retail business. And that was very successful. William had a keen business sense. So it wasn't just like, oh, he was, you know, some people just walk in the light or, you know, any of that. He really did have a business mind. What's that like? I don't. (laughs) Me either. Well, then fast forward a bit and the Civil War began. And William and John were Johnny on the spot. Get Uh it? See what you did there. Thank you. And they organized the Independent Home Guard for the protection of New Albany. Now, remember, we talked about the Home Guard because they were called the Buttermilk Rangers down in Alabama, I believe. Yes. Okay. I swear I was like, wait, do we know that? (laughs) Yes, the Home Guard. So that was like the local militia of people who weren't serving or had served, but they were home for various reasons. Also, William got involved with the war by raising money for the Union's calls. And he was very good at raising money. And he was also very good at profiting from this too. All legally, because I mean, we all know like people who raise the money for different things, like they all are like, what do you do? Oh, we fundraise. And they're like living in high rise in New York. I'm only saying this from the Anna Delvey thing, because that woman did fundraiser stuff. But he profited from this again. But then there came a point that his keen business sense and luck collided when he brokered a deal of a shitload of cotton that was going to go to England by way of New York. But the port of New York was tied up and couldn't accept it. So it was eh, returned to sender. 
And, you know, that sounds unlucky, but here's the lucky part. Shortly after, because the war, you know, everyone says like nothing's better for the economy than a wartime or whatever they say. Again, I don't have business brain. The price of cotton shot up fast as fuck, boy, and he was able to sell it and reap all the benefits. Jesus. Some people are just lucky like that. Like, I would be stuck with all that cotton and then it would be like they outlaw it. Like you can no longer use cotton. <laughs> Same. Well, so then he went into a new line of work, banking. Anyway, just like I could go on and on because he kept going to like he started dry goods and then like he worked his way up to like more corporate stuff. Anyway, I tell you all of this, just letting you know this man was rich, like richest of the richest in Indiana at the time, like richest man in Indiana. Yeah. Daddy Warbucks could never. Right. Got it. <laughs> yes. Unfortunately, he did have some tragedy in his family. Um, in 1865, Eliza died from typhoid pneumonia. He did have some children who died. But two years later, in 1867, William married his second wife, Cornelia Warner Eggleston. She was a widow herself, and together they had two children. Same year, he built the mansion that we're going to be talking about for around $120,000, which is a little more than $2 million in today's money. Jesus. Also, I know we've talked about this before, but you say mansion so weird. I know. But I just said it exactly how you say it. Mansh, mansh, uh, mansion. Mansion. You said like mansion. 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 It's like a C and an H. But that's exactly how I say it. But when you say it, it sounds so weird. Mansion. <laughs> You're just hypercritical of me, Carrie. It's no. okay. You would not be hypercritical of this house because it's beautiful. Was beautiful, still beautiful, all the things. It was designed by architects Joseph and William Baines. And it's in second French empire style. That means nothing to me. I don't know. But it's a little over 20,000 square feet. My God. Three stories. To, all together, it has 25 rooms. And like lots of the walls, the floors, and even the ceilings are hand painted with like different techniques. And is like, I think they had gold flecks and stuff in some of the walls. Even the tin roof that was original to it, it was from Scotland. So like, you know, I mean, it wasn't just like, oh, that tin will do. No, 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 no. The staircase was hand carved. All the fireplaces were built from marble. So very luxe, opulence. No cost was spared. Right. And why did I do this? I don't know. The next thing I have is Cornelia died in 1880. Okay. That was abrupt. The house was beautiful. The wife died. Oh, God. I mean, they did live there for a bit, but she did die, and she died in the house. Four years later, William married his third wife, Rebecca Keith Young. She was 35, and he was 70. What? And Nicole Smith. (laughs) That's exactly who I pictured. I mean, to each his own. Yeah. Love who you love. For sure. You literally held up the number four when you said, for sure. Oh, Lord. William passed away in 1892. He was 78, and his net worth, can you guess what it was in that day and times? How much did you say the house was again? 120000 Okay. Um, I'm going to say $3 million. $3.5 million in that day and times. Do you know what it would be equivalent to 
If you do this 700,000, I mean, 700 million. Okay, you did not do that math well. <laughs> $61 million. Okay, yeah, I don't know. Once we get to the millions, I don't understand. <laughs> I don't understand. I don't fucks with those zeros. Yeah, I like, do not get one, them. One, two, three, comma. One, two, three, <laughs> yes, comma. One, that two. is beyond my brain capacity. <laughs> yes, but what? Wowza. That's just wild. And I don't know why, but that's wild to me that someone had that much money back in the day. I don't know why that is. I guess because I watch all the period pieces and it's like the people who are struggling and stuff, yeah. you know? But then, yeah, I mean, I watch like the Gilded Age and all of that. And it is a lot of fucking money. And the people who built railroads, I mean, he did too. Imagine that because he did everything. But, okay. So the family sold the mansion and all the furnishings in 1899. Because no one wanted it. Like, none of their family wanted it. Why it, would you not? Property taxes, maybe? Maybe? I don't know. It went through different transformations and ownerships, but it became a historic place in 1976. Exterior renovations began in 1980, and then later they began to restore the original interior. And also, this is just like, I saw this way later and I had to put this just because all the shit going on right now while we're recording with women's liberation and stuff. So, what? No, it ain't women's liberation. It's, we're backpedaling. Right, we are. But why I'm saying this is William had a daughter and her name was Blanche. Okay, one, fabulous. Two, she was known as Scandalous Blanche. And basically, he wrote in his will that if she married this guy that he did not like, she would forfeit her entire inheritance. And she was like, um, okay, you know, I might do it. So anyway, she went to like Europe. She was with this guy who her dad wanted her to marry, but when she came back, she was like, this is like, I have to marry the guy that I wanted to marry. Like my inheritance be damned. Like I have to follow love, which Blanche, whew, you are, that better be some strong love right there. You know, yeah. like, whew, that's a lot. But his name was Lee French. And the reason why like her dad said he was unworthy was he was kind of like known as a ladies man and a womanizer and all the things. And he worked for the circus. And that's probably the main thing is that he worked for the circus. And he wasn't what, you know, like he thought a man should be, you know, like whatever. But she didn't care. They eloped. She lost her inheritance. But this woman, Scandalous Blanche, she took the case to court. Get it. And she won. Wow. Like, she fucking won. She later became very well known as a supporter of women's rights. And she was a lifelong member of the National Women's Suffrage Association. And, like, she marched in New York. She lived in New York for a long time. Like, she's been in those pictures that we see of the women, like, holding the signs and yeah. stuff. Like, she's in some of those pictures and... I don't know. And it's just like, whoa. Like, I don't know. Just the off chance that really I've only seen it in two other places about his daughter. Yeah. You know? And so, I, and just with everything how it is right now with Roe versus, wait, why is that so hard for me? I mean, we know why it's so hard for me. But Roe versus Wade, 
me saying that, I was just like, oh, got to put this in. Also, her name's Blanche. Right. And I'm sorry, if you think that women need to be liberated, then that using those words in itself means that they are stifled in some way. So true. Okay, so now we've talked all about the house, all about Blanche. And now we got to talk about some of the people, you know, who just won't leave. Since 1977, the staff have been keeping records of the stuff they've experienced that they cannot explain. You know, and it could be as simple as a weird noise that they heard and no one was there. You know, it's not like someone pushed me down the stairs like all the time. It could be just simple things, but still like no one was there and I heard this noise. Right. Could you imagine you working there and you were supposed to record something in that and you, clumsy you... Like, they have been keeping records and, like, if it was, like, I don't know why, but I picture it in, like, one big book. (laughs) Yeah. Um, I know my limitations. (laughs) And that would be one of them. (laughs) I would not take that job. But I also was not picturing, like, one big, huge book. It was, like, one small, like, guest book. Like... That you check in. Why am I going so dead? Sorry, so dark. But like when you check in, like at funerals. Yes. You know, like something really small. Not like a that. wedding guest book, a funeral. <laughs> well, that's what I've been to more. I was gonna say, life. tell me you have death trauma without telling me. <laughs> but that's what I pictured. So like, you spilling coffee would be like more problematic or something than like the eight million pages that are like already like flipped over but I don't know I just pictured like what I would be like can we start a new book while I'm here because uh, I cannot be trusted right and also can we digitize this because and I almost said digitize digitalize digitalize I don't know what I almost said oh god okay so at work we have these um they're called desensitization buckets it's a fancy way of saying we have like different textures in a bucket for like somebody's nerve sensitive yada 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 so in some of those buckets is rice beans corn like not popcorn you know and like people like but whatever yeah matter the point is is that i have to pick said buckets up into the cabinet and that is like panic mode every time i do it i am so scared i'm gonna drop it yeah and it's gonna go fucking everywhere because i'm not trying to bend down and pick all that stuff up no Scares me every time. I'm like, please don't drop it. Please don't drop it. Please don't drop it. Y'all better have a vacuum that you could just, uh, like a hose. Girl, I know where the cleaning closet is. I've gotten it before. (laughs) Because, oh my gosh. A couple of students have dropped some out of it. And I'm like, oh God, I'm so glad it wasn't me. Yeah. And I'm like, it's fine. You know, of course, I'm like, it's okay. It's okay. We can clean it up. It's no big deal. But I'm like, thank God it wasn't me. Yeah. And if if it was you, you'd be like, stupid. I'm so stupid. And everyone would be like, it's fine. It's okay. But you're like, go. Of course I did it. Yeah. No, I would never live it down. They'd be like, remember that time you dropped the bucket? <laughs> well, you just can't kick the bucket. No. Well, unless Tiffany tells me something. <laughs> True. Okay. Oh, God. <laughs> so, more about the house. There's, you know, the lights that flicker, faucets turning on and off for no reason, even electronic interference, you know, all the good good of classic hauntings. And to add to that, staff have said items have went missing only to turn up in locations that they know that they have searched. There are shadowy figures that have been seen moving from room to room and unexplained noises heard after dark. A lot of people smell cigar smoke on the second floor and there's a lot of phantom footsteps. I mean, can you imagine just like all the kids and stuff that have been in that house? Right. 
Well, hell, he had eight with the first wife. With the first wife and two with the second. And then their kids had kids. Uh Uh-huh. There's this heavy harp in the formal parlor that has turned itself around, you know, doing the whole hokey pokey thing, but by itself. And they're like, um, that ain't just the wind. There's a spinning wheel that's quite large. (laughs) I don't know why I said it like quite large that has been seen rotating on its own. Like, like the Sleeping Beauty one that she stuck Uh her finger to? Yeah. (laughs) Then she had to. Show me how she stuck her finger to it. Well, because I wasn't sure if it was Sleeping Beauty, so I was thinking while I was saying that. Oh, okay. Also, furniture has been overturned in rooms that were locked. The second wife, Cornelia, has been spotted in the halls and on the stairs of the third floor. Like, people have seen full-bodied apparitions of her. And they also blame her for turning the vacuum on and off when they're cleaning and stuff. Which, I mean, if Carrie worked there and spilled the buckets, they'd have to turn the vacuum on. Mm-hmm. The third floor also has the children's rooms. And there was like a ballroom up there. And they are all said to be haunted too. Jessica Stavros, the Southeast Regional Director for Indiana State Museum. Man, that is a long <laughs> business card. Right? She recalled in an interview this time that happened like 20 years ago that a policeman, he came out to the mansion. God, now I'm like second guessing everything I say. But (laughs) (laughs) he came out to the house, the really big house. I was going to say the large house. (laughs) The house was quite large. Why did I say that? (laughs) The harp was quite large. Anyway, he came out one night and it's because an alarm was triggered. Well, the curator, she showed up to meet him and they did the walkthrough and they saw everything was fine. They were leaving. The policeman turned to the curator and was like, well, are you going to go get her or are we leaving her in there? And the curator was puzzled and said, I don't know who you're talking about. It's just you and me in here. And that was the last time that that policeman ever responded to a call from that house that is quite large again. Sorry, I'm laughing at your <laughs> policeman. <laughs> <laughs> so remember Sam Baltrusis? Sure. He's a story I did where he was given a ghost story, like a tour in this historic Salem place for Halloween. And then he thought he might be being possessed. And he had to call his friend Joni. He's the one who was like trying to jump out of the window. I mean, the car. And his friend was like pulling the car. Sure. You don't remember that at all? Nope. Okay. Y'all listening, do y'all remember? Okay. Everyone's like, no, I, I don't. But he he now is like really big into the paranormal world and stuff like that. But his friend that came over to help him, her name was Joni Mahan. And uh, she got to investigate this mansion with a group of people. Like she's done it a few times. Well, they started in the formal dining room on the first floor, and she did a dowsing rod session, and the the communication that they got is that the spirits, they were not comfortable with one member of the group. The spirit, like, whoever was communicating with them was not a woman. They will be communicating with them tonight, and they like the home. They think the home is beautiful. And they will not be revealing themselves to these people. So, like, you won't see us. You might, we might interact with you, but you're like, you're not going to see us. And they ask, hey, are you in any pictures in the house? And they said, no. Hmm. 
Then they started with the spirit box session and they got these responses. So they asked, like, what are your names? And they got Paul. They said, did you live here in the 1800s? They got, I didn't. So, of course, they asked, did you live here in the 1900s? And they got, I did. So since they had the name Paul, they said, Paul, did you have any children? And the answer was pool party. Pool party? <laughs> I don't know. And so they said, are you with us, Paul? And the answer was, I'm Denny. What? Right. So then they went back to the dousing rods and got some more answers. And finally, Paul showed back up and he said someone else was with them, but it was a female. And that he himself had worked in the building. And then later that night in the basement, an older woman with a lisp came through and she said, the time is over soon. Another group that Joni led talked to a boy who said he was under 10. He didn't like art or music, but did like going to school. He didn't like to dance, sing, or read, but he did like nursery rhymes and candy. Same. (laughs) He could see one of the guys in the group named Joe, and he could see him because he was standing behind him. Another person asked how many ladies were in the room right now, and he answered correctly, and that answer was six. One of the volunteers, her insulin pump, the batteries were drained, and she had to change them. And she was like, these usually last a, like a very long time. This is not normal. Like, I'm so sorry to interrupt everyone. To, and they were like, no, this is evidence for us. Like, change them, girl. I didn't even think about that. Me either. That's what I was about to say. I've never thought about that kind of shit. I'm always like, oh, flashlights being drained. Cell phone batteries. Yeah, all of that. But that's dangerous. Like, for real. My sister is a type 1 diabetic, and she has an insulin pump like that. It's so cool, too, because, like, it has kind of what looks like a cell phone that goes with her. Because it's the one that she can move around. And, like, it has the constant read on her blood sugar. And she can just be like, bloop, bloop, bloop. This is what I need. And um, when her sugar gets to a certain level, it notifies um, her Apple Watch and my brother-in-law's. And then, like, one day her sugar dropped low, and so now it notifies my nephew's watch, too. He wants to know. So, like, it's just so cool, like, how far technology has come that's, like, totally protecting her in a whole new way. Yeah. Anyway, go ahead. Um, They did another dousing rod session and believe they connected with Cornelia, you know, the second wife. Because they asked if she was Nellie, and it said yes. And Nellie was Cornelia's nickname. She said that she didn't like women wearing shorts, that she did have children. She was a teacher. She had trouble with William's children, one in particular named Charlie. And Joni, she can hear the spirits and stuff. She can't really see them, but how she communicates is through hearing. And she had heard a female's voice in her head, and she had heard it over by the piano. Well, someone else is holding the Dowson rods, you know, and so Joni hadn't said anything, and she asked the rods to point where Nellie stood, and they pointed to the area by the piano. So it wasn't like she was holding the rods and knew where she thought they should point. Right. You know, so it really was just like, okay, okay. And later she was like, yeah, that's where, you know, whatever. Now, again, she didn't tell anyone beforehand, but I'm just saying, like, I feel like if she was in control of it, it would have been more like, well, you couldn't trust that because even just muscle flinches, like, because you'd be like, she over there by the piano. You know what I mean? Right. Um, One of the groups 
they were on the second floor and they were in a bedroom and all the men would receive answers to their questions, but none of the women would. Jerks. Right? Well, Crystal, the psychic who was in charge of this area, said, you know what? This room had been transformed into a billiard room when the American Legion took over the house. So that might explain why they weren't answering the women's questions. Because, you know, they were guys, guys. Like, this was where they shot the shit and did all their things and... Had guy talk. Yeah. Gross. But I was like, damn. In the third group, Jessica joined them. Remember, she's the director of the long name. Mm-hmm. Basically, director of the place. And they connected with the female spirit in the corner of a room. And she said that she was a cook and her name was Clarissa. And she explained it all. I was just about to say, she explained <laughs> it all to everybody. <laughs> and Jessica confirmed that Clarissa was a cook And she was a daughter of a slave, but she was born free in Indiana. And Jessica was able to ask her about a blue banquet that had just been thrown where they used some of Clarissa's old menus. And Clarissa was like, yeah, like 10 out of 10 would recommend like really happy with that. Like, thank you for doing that, which I just think is really cool. She said that she did not like Rebecca because of the way she treated the children. Now, on the third floor, that's where they had this thing called the punishment closet. Oh, shit. Right? Okay, when I heard it, I was like, oh, fuck. But it's basically like a timeout station. It was built out of lattice work. And what I gather is like one of the wives had this built as a way to keep the kids in line. So... A lot of people have said they felt sadness there. And Joni said on the third floor, they have made contact with a little girl up there. And like she was a lost child and they've tried to give her assistance, but she's never wanted their help to cross over. Well, if it was just like a time out closet and it really was like not used for beatings and stuff. Then if that kid maybe had some sort of sensory issues, then it might have been a quiet, safe space for them. And so that may be why they don't want to cross over because they like their quiet, safe space. Yeah. And not for nothing, though, but the kids were kind of bad. Like they had some shit going on in the house. So Sam or Samuel, he was five. And he set the woodshed on fire. Holy fuck. And when he was questioned about it, he just kind of shrugged and was like, I was cold. What? Like, what? Go in that punishment closet right now. So, seriously, like, it sounds sad and bad. Like, what the fuck are you doing in this punishment closet? But, honestly, it sounds like how my mom had the lattice work where the sex toys were sold behind. Yes. But it was, like, that just, like, in a square. Like, that lattice work, you know. So, I mean, it really was... A place where you, like, you go in, you can't watch TV, and you have no, like, because, you know, you put people in a, like, turn and face the wall, and they're like, but I'm going to peek over here, yeah, and I'm going to do over there, you know, whatever, like, no, you're going in this room. I'm not saying every house should have it. I'm just saying, when I heard it, I was like, <gasps> yeah, what am I going to hear about this? And then I was like, oh, wait. It really is just like a room where they have to go sit and time out. Yeah. And it's like built out. It's not like I was thinking it was like a hole. Like yeah. inside a closet, like you're down in it, like squished down in there. Not not that at all. Anyways, nowadays, every October, they put on an event called literally a haunted house, which I'm like, did I name this? 
where basically they decorate the carriage house, different themes, like, you know, because it's a haunted attraction. Get it? Literally, a haunted Mm -hmm. house. And because of this, there's this mistake where people think that this is a part of history, but there's no one to, like, corroborate. Why is that such a hard word? Corroborate? Did I say it right? Mm Mm-hmm. Okay, that word, because I'll never say it again, this. But it's on a lot of websites. But And so people think that this one time that people have like put, I think it was just a theme. And so they did like a Blair Witch kind of like backstory on it, like the carriage house. It was a dark and stormy night, blah, 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 you know, to get you really yeah. in it. And then people were like, no, that really happened. I don't think it did, okay? But okay. I'm just going to tell you what it is. Because who knows, maybe they covered it up. I don't know. But the tale goes, in 1888, the carriage house was struck by lightning, and it's believed that everyone inside of it was killed by the fire, and it was used as servant quarters and a place for the horse and buggy. Now, that, I think, could be the truth, okay? Because then, a little later on, I believe some of the servants would be on the third floor, as well as like that was like the kids play area and then that punishment closet is up there too. But later on, there would be so many servants who refused to go to the carriage house because they claimed that it was haunted. Well, that was long forgotten by 1933 when Harold Webb bought the mansion for himself and his family. He was a doctor, so he used part of the house as his medical office. If you didn't know, he was a doctor medical office. Why did I put that? But over time, he seemed to be more agitated, easily angered, and then people around town started going missing. And then those people, like, you know, people started putting two and two together that those people were his patients. So police had him on their radar because he was like the only connection between these people who were going missing. But one day in 1934, Police were called to the house because someone had complained about foul odor coming from the house and they had been trying to reach the Webb family, but they couldn't get a hold of anyone. You know, the drill. Police came out, found the entire family dead. Oh, shit. Dr. Webb had annihilated his whole family and then died by suicide. Under the house, police found secret passageways that led to rooms that had torture devices that had like gruesome experiments going on. Some of the bodies were still in the rooms. And the story is believable because they add like this whole, they did a whole cleanup and after it, it stayed locked up for 30 years and then it was sold to the American Legion, which we know it was sold to. So they sprinkle in a bit of truth with the fake news. Right. And so it's like, wait, did that happen or did that not happen? Because also we know people have done that. I was going to say, it's very like Marie Laveau. Oh, yeah, I could see that. Like in the attic, kind of torturing people, maybe, Mm, possibly, not really sure, but maybe. Yeah. Well, speaking of the carriage house, a guy named Gary is in charge of the carriage house and the attraction. And he said one time he was putting makeup on several of the actors and he, as he was finishing, a woman in a beautiful green dress came in. He saw her in the mirror behind him, but when he turned around, she was gone. Didn't really think anything of it. A bit later, he walked past the dining room, saw the same woman, and she was putting place settings on the table. When he came into the room, she vanished. So he asked someone, and they said it was Cornelia, and they showed him a painting of her, and she was wearing the same dress that... 
he saw and he was like, oh my God, I didn't even put that together. That yes, that's her. Like that wasn't an actress. It wasn't anything like that was her. Another experience that happened to him in the carriage house, he was walking up the stairs and he felt hands on his back, like saying kind of like move up a little bit faster, like, or, oh, excuse me. Like I'm going to go past you because you're going so slow. Kind of like what Carrie does to me. I mean, you don't touch me. You just go, go, keep going, move, (laughs) go, go. (laughs) Only when we're walking and I stop and turn around to tell you something and you stop too. And I'm like, no, keep walking. I will, we'll walk together. Like I'm already ahead of you. You don't have to stop. Keep going. Well, when he turned, the person around him was far too, like far behind him to have like pressed on his back. So like what moved, like what pressed on his back? It was a ghost. And that's what I have of the Colbertson Mansion in New Albany, Indiana. So not a lot of like gruesome stuff happened, but we all know that, I mean, there's a lot of things that just aren't reported and Union soldiers were there, you know, like he fundraised for the Union. And so we know that he probably housed some of them, you know, like, so if maybe some of them died there, we don't know how many deaths occurred in that house and like who really could potentially be haunting the house yeah but thank you so much jesse m for that suggestion yeah i definitely liked this story it wasn't that i mean it was sad but not sad yeah but you know we're we're due for some not so sad ones yes all right well my story is going to seem pretty weird and abrupt at the beginning but i promise there's a method to the madness okay picture it september 16th 1981 A guy comes up to the house of Kelly Dean Hogan. So Kelly's a karate instructor in the Tulsa area, and he's at home with his wife when, again, like I said, somebody on the door. That sounds like I'm calling a dog, not knocking, but you get the point. Well, there's some words exchanged, like, did you meet this person? He's like, no, she didn't show up. And they're like, how do you have the, Kelly's like, how do you have this address? Like, how do you, wait, who, who are you, you know? And all of a sudden, the guy pulls a gun out on Kelly and shoots him. And Kelly is kind of like pulling himself and telling his wife to run. So his wife is like running for her life, doesn't know where the gunman is, doesn't know who the gunman is, what the heck happens. But she does see the gunman like run away. And Kelly ends up succumbing to his wounds. So the police are trying to figure out who in the hell killed Kelly Dean Hogan. And is he related to Hulk Hogan? No, but... The thing is, is that Kelly had no enemies. And so the police were having such a hard time figuring out who did this. Well, flash forward five years. On May 1st, 1986, Randolph Franklin Dial walks into the police station in Las Vegas and confesses to killing Kelly Dean Hogan. In Tulsa, Oklahoma? Right. Okay. Basically, basically, this Randolph Dial character is a bit of a character. He's kind of a, um, he's a bit of a talker in that he knew facts about the crime. Like, he he actually did this. But it's like, but why did he confess? Is that his real name? Randolph Dial? Yeah. I have to, I want to say Dial. You do. Because that's how I pronounce it. But I'm trying to say Dial, like, so y'all know what the word I'm saying. that's how I was like. It's D-I-A-L. So my country is going to slip (laughs) out and I'm going to call it Dial. So it was like Randolph Dial? So I was like, is that his real name? Yes, D-I-A-L, but I can't help it. I'm country. I'm going to say dial the whole time. Well, when you said he was a bit of a character, so I was like, that sounds like a fake name that a character would make up, like 
Randolph Dahl. Randolph Dahl. Well, he fancies himself a con man, so he does confess, he pleads guilty, and is sentenced to life in prison. But, like, he's one of those that talks really big. So he says that he was, it was like a murder for hire thing, um, which is, like, why he killed it. But it's like, who has anything against him? But he says that it was an old karate student that, like, had something out for him because um, Kelly Hogan had, like, corrected that student's form basically in class one day and he, like, had it out for him. But then, like, the other story is that Kelly Hogan took karate from, like, this other instructor and then ended up, like, opening his own business and that the guy that was his previous instructor was the one that hired him. But basically, long story short, Dahl was hired for, like, $5,000 to kill Kelly Hogan. So, Dahl is sentenced to prison, to life in prison. So, a little bit about Dahl. He went by the name Doc, but I ain't calling him that. So he's also an artist and like actually was an artist. Like he had this um, sculpture that kind of looked like a, uh, you know, those, <laughs> you know, that episode of Saved by the Bell when they like struck oil on the um, like football field and they were all going to get rich. And they had the guy that came to like show them like how much money they could be making. And he did the presentation and then they were like, I think it was Jesse. It was like, what you're not showing is, and they, or maybe it was Zach. Anyway, like put all those little black um, oil things on yes. it. Okay, you know what I'm talking about? Yes. Like they're little, they're like tall and you can like see through them because they look yeah. like towers. Okay. Yeah. So this dial guy like made one of those out of art and it was actually on the set of the show Dallas. So, he oh, really okay. was an artist. Everything else he said was probably a crock of shit. I just love that you go that way, and I go to Texas T, the, the... The casino game? Yes, the slot machine? That, yes. <laughs> but you remember, though, they, like, came in and, like, squirted oil on everything? Yes. <laughs> but also, it's like, why would Dial confess to this murder? Like, he had this, like, whole life outside of it. Like, why did he do this murder? Why did he confess to it? And there's this um, retired detective who ended up writing a book about Dahl later. And he's like, look, you know, he did this to put him on the front pages. He is a sociopath and a narcissist. And he wanted people to know what he did. And he wanted, like, accolades, essentially. Wouldn't that be something like you got away with murder and then you're mad about it? Preach. So while... Dial was in prison. He got not, I don't want to say close, but like, you know, had a good relationship with the warden named Jack Cowley. So this warden wanted to change things up. He was one that like let the inmates call him by his first name and, you know, like wanted to really do things at the prison. And even though he immediately kind of pointed that Dial was very manipulative and like a quick study of people. He still was like, I'm not going to have any trouble out of him. So he essentially made him this guy who had been convicted of murder and sentenced to life in prison. He basically let him be a trustee. Well, and it wasn't like he, it was a spontaneous murder. I mean, I know like murder for hire, whatever he said, but like. It was still like very like cold blood, no compassion no passion even just like 
point blank, you know? Yeah. So you're giving him, like, he literally could just get a wild hair and do something. That's what I feel like he did that day. So this warden wanted to start, like, programs for the inmates, and an art program was one of them. And in this art program, he wanted inmates to, like, make pottery and stuff so that they could sell it. So in this prison, the deputy warden and his family lived, like, basically kind of on the property. And the deputy warden's wife, her name's Bobby Parker, she was a school teacher and had even worked as a teacher at another prison that the deputy warden worked at, like, you know, with the inmates and all of that. So she had had a history of working in the prisons. And so what they decided was for this art class that those two would kind of work together. I don't like where this is going. So Bobby was going to help the inmates sell the pottery and then learn herself like how to make some of the ceramics, that kind of thing. Well, because Dow was basically like a, a trustee at this point because of the downgrade of his security clearance so that he could do all of this, he would go over to Bobby Parker's house with her and do the ceramic-y pottery thing. Did they have that scene in Ghost? Well, she would always make them do it, like, in the, basically in the front lawn, because she's like, I'm not being alone with an inmate. Like, we're doing right. it where everybody can see. Like, fuck this, right? Exhibitionist. Okay. Okay, ma'am. On August 30th of 1994... My birthday month. I mean, till end of my birthday month. Bobby is working at her house with Dow. When all of a sudden... She starts feeling kind of woozy and just not feeling very good. Not long after she realizes, like, okay, I'm not feeling so hot, she sees that Dial has, like, approached her and is standing right in front of her. Oh, God. She said that from there, he knocked her down. Next thing she knows, she's waking up and, like, nothing is really making sense to her. But then she says that she realizes that she was actually driving. What? And that Dal was like crouched down in the car with a knife on her being like, drive. Yeah. And they were on their way to Texas. She said that when she's like, you know, it's like she was blacked out, but like could still do things. Yeah. So when she you know, when she's kind of coming to and she sees him on the on the floorboard with a knife, she realizes that she's got blood on her arm and her leg. And she's like, what the fuck, right? Well, while they're driving to Texas, that's when her husband, Randy, who's the deputy warden, and basically the whole prison realizes that Bobby's missing and so is Randolph Dow. So they are freaking out that she's been kidnapped by this convicted murderer right so of course they at the prison immediately start locking things down looking for where the hell are they after they've been driving for a little while they stop at a store so that dial can like get some supplies and he allows her to make a phone call and she calls her mom nothing really told me what was said but she's basically like i was 
praying that they could track the phone call. I'd call my mama too, like over my husband. Eventually, they make their way. They were in Oklahoma, by the way. I don't think I ever said that that's where the prison was, but the prison was in Oklahoma. And then they made their way to Texas and they finally get to a motel. And Dial has Bobby's wrist bound, her ankles bound, and he is beating her with his belt. And she's panicking, and he tells her, like, this is nothing compared to what the people I know can do and will do to you. Oh, my God. So she's terrified. He's telling her how he's got mob connections. You know, he's in prison for murder that is a hit. So, you know, she's like, yeah, okay, he's, you know... He got these connections. Right. And, of course, he's telling her that if she doesn't cooperate, he's going to beat her. And he is doing everything. Like, he has control of everything. He is bathing her. He is cleaning her. He is doing everything sexually that he wants to to her. He has her tied up, and she has no control over anything. Oh, my gosh. It said that he was sexually assaulting her with objects too yeah just to just to completely humiliate her and eventually they ditched the van that they had stolen you know he had forced her to drive away of her own van eventually they just sat and got on a bus and just continued moving and of course back at the prison they're doing manhunts they're doing all the things to try to find this mother i mean she had two kids an eight and an 11 year old daughters and they're trying to do everything they can to find her It even goes all the way to the FBI. Like, this is a manhunt for a prisoner who is in for fucking murder. But here's the thing. Eight months after Bobby's disappearance was April 1995. And that was when the Oklahoma City bombing occurred. Oh, my gosh. So, that took all of the FBI away from her case and onto this huge act of terrorism. Right. So, by this time, they had been missing so long that Dial had basically created um, new identities for them. He was calling himself Richard and calling her Samantha and saying that they were married. And the part that's so just outlandish about this story, well, there's so many. Basically, he had like created a life for them. And with his artistry skills... After about three years, like I said, they had created this life, and he started a pottery company called Terracotta Gardens. And, like, he advertised, did interviews. Oh, my gosh. This guy even held a women's luncheon at a country club with, like, cameras and, like, all of this. What? Meanwhile, Bobby is back at the trailer they were living in, tied up. And this was in, like, East Texas. Well, they were also, like, living and working on this industrial chicken farm. And not long after they had been, like, living and working there, they had moved to a really small town in Louisiana, just right outside, like, the Texas-Louisiana border. And they were living in a trailer and working at a, a bigger chicken farm. And the abuse continued for Bobby. It said that Dial actually killed her dogs in front of her and then blamed her for it like got her dogs and then killed them yeah oh my gosh so while this is all happening remember how i said that guy that was a retired detective had like written a book about him his name is charles sasser and this is when he's you know working on everything and 
one day, Dahl actually called him and then let him talk to Bobby. What? Yes. So, Bobby talks to this guy that's doing, like, the interview, and she tells him that they're happy and they're living a country life. Hello? She's not going to be, like, miserable. Oh, my gosh, help me. Right. She's afraid because she's been abused. She just knows that he's going to be, like, tell the FBI, like, she's there and... They're going to come to her rescue if she just plays ball. Well, because she's considered missing still, right? Right. But after they talked, nothing happened. Nobody ever came for Bobby. Shame on that man because he should have called because he talked to a missing person. Doesn't matter if she's like, oh, we're happy and whatever. Okay, cool. Well, they can mark you off the missing list then. But they need to call, come out, see that you're okay. You tell them, yep. Mm -hmm. You know, and you've done your thing. Right. But that wouldn't happen because he is a fugitive. So he's going to go, you know. Right. Well, at this point, they had now lived in this second location for five years. And Randolph Dial was on America's Most Wanted, like on the TV show and everything. Hold on. I got to go back because now I'm just thinking about her husband, Randy. At this point, you know, he's probably remarried. Well, no, because she's just missing. Like, she would have to be declared dead. Oh, true. Yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) Why do I jump to that? But I was just thinking, like, if you do get found and then, like, you couldn't go back to that life. Yeah, the castaway of it. Yeah. Remember on castaway? Yeah. It's just like, I'm here. Wait, what? But sorry, go ahead. Okay. So, one day on April 4th, 2005, Bobby is working at the chicken farm that's, like, near their house. She had been missing for 10 years, 7 months, and 5 days. And on that day, law enforcement shows up. Wow. I can't believe they hadn't declared her dead after 10 years. Well, they ask her what her name is, and she tells them, my name is Bobby Parker, and she's like, it felt so good to say my name for the very first time, because she'd been living as this Samantha woman. Yeah. They went to arrest dial and basically he said i knew y'all be coming one day of course they took her to the hospital and immediately called her husband and said like we found her he dropped everything drove all night and went to the hotel where they had her and those two re got to reunite in that hotel lobby oh that's sweet and for the two of them it was like they had never been apart And it's so, I mean, think about it. She had an 11-year-old and an 8-year-old. And now she has a 21-year-old and an 18-year-old. Yeah. She's going back to a life that continued on. Yeah. But her husband didn't. He didn't remarry. He didn't have anybody else. He loved her and he was waiting for her. He didn't have sex with anyone else. Well, I don't know. I didn't ask him. Mm -hmm. He had someone else in that 10 years. He didn't get married to that someone else. But he has someone else. Her husband, Randy, said that she was different when she came back. Like, she always asked permission. Like, can I, can I get yeah. the coke? Can I do this? Can I, you know, she never would just do it. She's like, would ask for permission. That reminds me of uh, Red from Shawshank when he's like, hey, can hey, I? Hey, boss, can I go to the bathroom? Yeah, and and he's like, like, you don't have to ask me, just go. But he was like, after however many years he's been in there, he was like, I don't think I could pee without someone telling me I could go. Yeah. So everything's great. Bobby is back with her family. Or was it? Dun, dun, dun. She pregnant. No. Oh. So 
when police start looking at like the trailer they were living in and everything their life starts to paint a little bit of a different picture than a woman who was kidnapped so police ended up finding valentine's day christmas cards letters all of this stuff to one another talking about their love Well, I'm trying to see if it was something that she was in from the jump or... Like a Stockholm Syndrome. Yeah. Yeah. Three years after Bobby was reunited with her family, in what became one of the most expensive and longest trials in Oklahoma history, Bobby was charged with, like, aiding and abetting a fugitive. What? So, of course, all this stuff starts coming to light. The warden, who was all trusting of Dow, who was like, oh, he's a con artist, but he's fine. Let's give him all these privileges. Apparently, he's like, yeah, you know, I thought they were getting a little too close for comfort. Like, he was like, one day I drove by the house and they were out there like having coffee and they were just a little too close for comfort. Then, come to find out, an inmate at the prison she used to work at, allegedly, they had had an affair. Oh, she likes a man who wears stripes. So, it's not unreasonable that if she had one affair with an inmate, she would be a little more likely to have another. Mm -hmm. Also, another inmate from the prison that they went missing from said that the day that they went missing, he like watched them drive away in the van because sometimes she would just take him off the prison grounds to sell the pottery. So like they would go and come in the van. So it wasn't like what they, <laughs> yeah, they would. <laughs> <laughs> so it wasn't like what they doing in that van. It was like, Oh, they're going to sell pottery. Like there was nothing like he was in the van, like not crouched down. She was fine driving. And like, what do you mean you were like passed out and then, Oh, okay. I'm driving. Yeah. I mean, I guess it can happen. Like a medicine kind of make you, black out but you're still able to do like rote tasks i guess but like well that's what i thought like maybe she had like he had knocked her out put her in the van and then like when she came to like he got her to drive and then she had like kind of just like disassociated wow disassociated yeah yeah I mean, it's it's plausible, but another inmate had seen them driving you know and she seemed not in distress you know nothing The other piece of kind of circumstantial evidence is that when she was allowed to call someone, she called her mom, which you said you would call. I would. But I don't know. I I, I know you wouldn't. You would call Colby. Yeah. But I would call my mama. Yeah. But that's just. Well, here's the other thing. But she was able to make a couple of more calls that I didn't tell you about. And I buried the lead on that a little bit. She called a friend and her sister-in-law. Okay. Yeah. That's weird, right? Yeah. Okay. And then the phone call with Charles Sasser right in the book, she he's like, he firmly believes that she was lying and she was part of this because he was like, no, she was fine. Like, she was yeah. like, we're in love. We're living our best life. We're living this country life. Like, leave us alone. Like, we're yeah. fine. Th- there were a couple of things for me that really made me like, this is a sketch. The Valentine's Day cards that were just like something I would write to Colby. You know, like it was like a, a Valentine card just made me... Mm, that's weird. Again, Stockholm Syndrome's a thing. And, you know, because this was a Dateline episode. And 
in the episode, they actually talk to her, and it's, like, the only time she's ever done an interview, and it's, like, but, like, why didn't you, you had all these opportunities to run away and all this stuff, and it's, like, no, I get that. Like, you can't blame yeah. her. If the abuse really happened, you cannot blame her for not leaving when she had opportunities because she's been beaten to that point. Right. If the abuse really happened. And if she thinks he has mob ties, Exactly. He knows where her family lives and where she's going to go back to, blah, 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 blah. Right. But it's the other stuff that was in the house. So there was some film that they developed and it's pictures of them like completely living a happy life. Like doing all the things, like posing, ha- like they're like on vacation. They're, you know, they're yeah. not, these pictures, and they show them on the Dateline episode, like they're fine. Like yeah. they, you know, this is not, like it's pictures of them together. It's pictures of them individually. It's pictures of yeah. all the things. I could, I could see the Valentine's thing if he was obsessed with her and he like wrote a Valentine's and was like, here, write me something sweet. And you know what I mean? Like right. where people are obsessed and they're like, I want you to love me like I love you. So you have to like, I could see that, but I can't see because you always in movies, you know, <laughs> but like you can always tell in like photographs when they're just like a little like, something it's not a right. forced smile. Yeah. It's a, they look dead, dead in the eyes because yeah. they're abused. Right. So the other, one of the other things too, is that in 2004, Dial actually had a heart attack. And was hospitalized. Oh, shit. And in that hospitalization, she never reached out for help. Which, again, I'm I'm not... I'm saying I understand that. But... How he get admitted and all that without... Right? I don't know. But... Okay. After his heart attack, she had written a letter to him. And she says in the letter, we've had a great ride. Let's enjoy life, celebrate living, for it's so short. God placed me in your path for a reason, and I really do love you. Oh. Yeah, yeah. And then they found also in the trailer um, condoms and a vibrator, but she says the vibrator was a gag gift. And Um. I'm like, okay, okay. Well, you said that he, like, raped you with instruments, which... But, like, who's who's getting you a gag gift? Like, so you have a life set up to where you have friends or people that get you a gag gift? Right. Because he wouldn't get you that as a gag gift. Because if he really was, like, raping you with instrumentation, that wouldn't be a gag gift. A gag right. gift would have to be coming from someone in your life. So you've, like, set up a life here. Yeah. So while I can understand, like, Michelle Knight with Ariel Castro not running because she had been with him for 10 years and been beaten and terrified to leave because of all that. I can understand that, but she doesn't have friends outside the house. That's buying her gag gifts. Right. She can barely get outside the fucking room. So that to me too, is like a gag gift from who? Right. Whom? Whatever it is. But huh? Right. You know, Randy is gagging over there about this. Like The husband? Yeah. No, he's completely on her side. Oh, Lord. Okay, maybe he did wait for her then. But she did not wait for him then. Well, okay. And then, so they the trailer that they lived in was a two-bedroom. And, like, you could clearly tell that only one bedroom was used. Now, again, if he was, like, holding her hostage, which he didn't have to anymore because it's been 10 years. 
but that he conditioned her right they they weren't they were sharing a room they were if you looked at that house they were living as husband and wife i will say that the owner of the um chicken farm that they worked at before she truly believed that um bobby was abused and like said that she offered for like bobby to come stay with her like you can get away from him and she was like no i'm okay so i don't know so they brought like i said they brought charges against her and she was facing up to 10 years in prison for this so of course at the trial they are like um you're gonna trust these inmates word you know over this deputy warden's wife kind of thing like that's what the defense is saying and it kind of aggravated me that they were like the inmate that said that they had had the affair from the previous prison. They were like, um, he has mental illness. Um, so does everybody. Yeah. I mean, they're like, he fabricated this story. But it's like, isn't he the best victim for her? Right. Because let's be honest, if she is, if she did have affairs with inmates, they are victims because that yes. is, it's the power dynamic mm-hmm. that makes them victims. And so, he's the perfect one. Oh, he has mental illness. He fabricated this whole thing. Or did he? Because now we have two. It's right. kind of a pattern. Right. And also, I love how y'all aren't going to take the inmate's word over this, but you'll take an inmate telling on another inmate. Right. Well, and you'll take an inmate's word because they're like, because Dow said and wrote like over a hundred times that she was kidnapped and that they like she wasn't there willingly. So I'm like, so you'll take that inmate's word, right. but not that inmate's word, right? So which is it? Can you trust an inmate or no? Exactly. I'm unsure here. But what happened was Dow actually died before she went to trial. He had all those heart trouble and he died. He was like 62 when he died. Did she cry? I don't know. But he was not alive to be able to like go to bat for her at trial. Uh-huh. But I feel like he's going to, yeah, he's going to be like, let me help her not go to jail. Like, yeah, I kidnapped her. It's fine. Because oh, he's yeah. going to get, he's got life in prison. What's it going to hurt him if he's like, yeah, I kidnapped her. It's fine. But he wants people to think he kidnapped her, even if he did. Because he wants people to think he's a mobster and he's a yes. hitman and he's all the things. Because that's what he told the guy writing the book. He told him he was part of like the Rangers, and you know, all this shit to make himself seem cooler, you know? Mm-hmm. And it's like, nah, bro, you, you really weren't. Like, he's like, thinks he's fucking in the CIA, you know? Yeah. And it's like, you're not. You know, so he's going to do, like you said, anything to make himself sound bigger, badder, and awesomer. Not a word, but you get the point. Yeah. That, okay, this is the part that pisses me off, though. So, that warden that, like, gave him the... Jack. Yeah. So, apparently, he got two different tips about where they were while they were on the run, and he never called them in to the FBI. Wow. Basically, he says, they weren't doing anything wrong, like, while they were out, so I didn't think it was necessary. Uh, if you thought she was kidnapped. Right? Um, what? If you thought she was kidnapped, and he's a murderer yeah. on the loose. What? How do you know he's not doing anything wrong? He turned himself in. That's the only way he was called. Right. Y'all would have had no clue that he killed <laughs> Kelly had he not been like, yeah, I did it. Yeah. You know that guy? Yeah, I did it. <laughs> he turned himself into uh, a whole different place. Yeah. And, and so, like, they're, like, on this Dateline thing, they're, like, they could have been found in two years instead of ten years. And he gets real defensive there, and he's, like, Maybe it's my fault. I mean, is that where we're going? Yeah, that's where we're going. Yes. Yeah, it is. Yes, it is, in fact. 
all these man hours wasted looking for them, all this trauma to her children and her right? husband, and not to mention the family of Kelly Hogan that he murdered, that now their convicted his convicted murderer is out on the loose. Right. Yeah. Yeah, that's what we're saying. You should have fucking made a call, buddy. So anyway. But he doesn't get reprimanded. Bobby did not take the stand in her defense. Her attorneys say that she was not mentally stable enough at the time because she was still working through all the trauma of being kidnapped for 10 years. But now she talks about, like, on this Dateline thing about how that she wasn't in love with him, all of the abuse. She says that... Because they're like, why didn't you, when he had the heart attack, you know, you could have gotten away. And she's like, but he was still alive. Like, he still could have found me. And, you know, like you said, like the mob thing and all of that. So she was like fearful that it, he could still find her. After 11 weeks of testimony and 38 witnesses just for the defense. So that's not including prosecution. That's not including all the fucking things. It took the jurors 13 hours to deliberate. And they found her guilty oh shit she like immediately went to jail when she was found guilty because they considered her a flight risk her family was on her side like family members were like please don't take her like her husband her kids everybody on her side what you perfect time to sing the tim mcgraw song don't take the girl no that song is sad as shit (laughs) but even though she was potentially convicted for 10 years she was actually only sentenced to one year and was released after serving just six months womp womp (laughs) and she got out of prison and she and her husband are still together wow and just living their life she's she's tried to like appeal it and stuff but nothing's ever come of it yeah girl had her rum springa before we get into you telling me what you think actually happened we gotta talk about care of care of is back and i'm very thankful for that because they taking care of me are they okay. taking care of you mm-hmm. how are they taking care of us you may ask so <laughs> we went online and we filled out this little quiz it asks about like your health goals, your lifestyle, all the things, and then it develops a plan just for you. Have you ever got clothes tailored to you and you're like, oh my God, perfect fit? No, I'm uh, just kidding. I have I actually. I was going to say, you have. Okay, she, she. Well, this is perfectly tailored for you, for your body, inside for me? your body. Yeah, for you, for you, for you. Everybody that takes this quiz, you'll get your package uh, customized to you. We're talking about care of, but really it's about taking care of yourself and taking care of yourself each day can go a long way and care of just taking these vitamins. That's part of your self care routine. Care of is a subscription service that ships high quality personalized vitamins, supplements, and powders conveniently to your door every month. Yes. So they are made from good for you, clean ingredients backed by the latest science and research, so you can feel good about what you're putting in your body. And you'll know we all heard us talk about care of. You'll know we love the little details. And your daily regimen comes in individual packets with your name on it. So all you got to do is whoop, that's ripping it. Oh, okay. You know, just whoop, and take them unless you get the powders. And then, you know, I'm sure you whoop, that too. You do. I had their melatonin. It's called the Dream Team. And it did help me go to sleep. 
See, I didn't have that because I don't need help going to sleep. But I need energy and I need immune support because I got problems with my immune system. (laughs) You got 99 problems. And And my immune system, death one. (laughs) So if you want 50% off your first Care Of order, go to TakeCareOf.com and enter code CREEP50. Again, that is 50% off your first care of order go to takecareof.com and enter code creep50 that's t a k e c a r e o f.com and enter code creep50 c r e e p 50 okay back to bobby tell me what you think here's the thing i feel like they had a lot of space in the prison or like I don't know where they could have done their stuff and they didn't have to go back to their house to do it, even if it was in the yard and stuff. So them going off like that, mm-hmm. that's that's not safe anyway. No. Yeah. And that's what some stuff was like, really kind of coming down on the warden for how he had things set up. And like, yeah. allegedly, he had gotten this report from, I, I forget who, like, talking about like how manipulative Randolph Dial was and that like he can't be trusted around women and all of this. And Randy is like, well, we didn't know any of that or we wouldn't have allowed him in our home. Yeah, but I feel like it doesn't matter. Like, they shouldn't go into your home that you have your family. Like, yes, you're living on the prison grounds, but, like, that's your home where your family life is. Exactly. The prison is over here, and that's where that should stay. Absolutely. Even, doesn't matter how trusty he is. And here's the thing, too, is it's like, my thing is, why take her? Why not just take her van? Why not just run? He literally was allowed to leave the prison to sell his pottery and all of that. So it's like, why would he kidnap her for more of a liability? He's got somebody with him. It's more people to be recognized. It's yada, yada, yada. She was younger than him. So maybe people would notice a little bit more. An older man, a younger woman. You know, it's like, why would he take her... When it's so much more of a liability for him. Yeah. Well, when you were talking, I was like, hmm, why hasn't he ditched her, like, right off? Because why was he going to Texas? Like, no one would have thought to look in Texas. He turned himself in in Las, in Las Vegas, I think. Right. So I wouldn't have been like, you know what? We need to go look in Texas. So if he's halfway there, he could have thrown her out of the car and then he was going to steal another car anyway. Like, he's not going all the way yeah, in that van. Yeah, because he ditched the van and they took a bus. Yeah. So, she doesn't know where they're going if he didn't say, hey, just so you know, I'm going to Texas. Right. Like, if he didn't tell her, she didn't know. So, he literally could have just used her, got there. Because why have her for more? Because if he wanted just, like, to rape her and all of that, that could have happened in a hotel room, and then he just left her there and right went on. You know what I mean? Like, and I feel like mm, no, I think she was in on it. I think so too. Again, going to the house, that is just like no, you don't trust anyone. And I'm not saying the inmate or like I'm not saying like you don't trust an inmate when they come to your house. No, no, no. If your significant other is like, oh, this person from work. We have all this room to work, but we're just going to go to our house. I mean, we're in the yard, but no. Yeah, that's weird. I That whole setup was weird and should have never happened. But like, I mean, they were alone and they had a lot of time for him to run a hustle on her. Right. I was going to say, now, do I think that he 
played her? 100. Absolutely. 100. He did what he wanted. Like, you know what? She was younger. Uh-huh. She, you know, whatever he wanted. And he thought of a life he could have and all of this. Sure. Okay. Here's a long con. I'm going to do Absolutely. this and here we go. And I, ugh. You can't trust a career con man. Right. Like it's what they, like it's, it's in his bones. Like it's, he's always going to be running a con. Yeah. Literally always. Yes. And if he's not, that's the con. Like that he's not running a con. Right. Well, and I, but I, I just feel like though her husband has to know. Like, he has to know. I don't know. I just feel like there would be more examples of, I think she was abused because X, Y, and Z. Right. And it was like, his own, of course, again, this is, I mean, I I really didn't even see, I only saw this part on the Dateline thing, but I didn't see much online. But it was like, his only example was like, she'd ask permission to like, go get Cokes and stuff. You know? But it's like, I could be like, can I go to the bathroom? You know? I mean, like you said, I watched Shawshank. Yeah. Well, also, y'all are going to run and meet each other in the hotel lobby and all of that when she's been, like, conditioned to, like, love this other man and not trust men, really. Mm-hmm. And all, like, no, they, like, usually they're, like, kind of, and everyone's different, I know, but, like, they're more timid. Right. Even if they're, like, oh, yay, you're back. But they're just, like, I don't really know. Like, they're over, like, sensory, like, sensory overload. And, right. Like, oh my God, like this is happening. And yeah, it's almost like, I know this is, this is probably a terrible example and I'm probably going to be whatever, but it's almost like, it's like a a feral child. Like you have to like approach them more slowly. Like they have PTSD. Yes. And they like, it's not bad that they do. I mean, it's bad, but it's It's not their fault. It's, it's to be expected. Right. And so for her to just like run and embrace you when she hasn't called you, bro. Right. Like she's talked to her mom, her sister-in-law, her friend, a fucking uh, author. Like she's talked (laughs) to all these people, but she ain't called you. She ain't called you, but she going to run and embrace you. Yeah. And she hadn't checked on the call and checked on those kids. On the kids. Oh, my God. Look, now she's running the fucking con. I want to know what those conversations were with all of those other people, though. Like, Uh what did she say to the sister-in-law? What did she say to the friend? What did she say to the mother? So that we know, like, because it seems like all those people are supporting her. Well, because she probably did say, like, I'm really scared, but I don't want anyone to get hurt. And so I'm going to stay with it. Because, again, if you say, look, he's got a lot of connections and he, he knows where everyone lives. And if someone says anything, you know, people are going to be like, oh, look, we can't say anything. Because why did no one else talk? I don't know. That's what I'm saying. That, that's that's the thing. It's like there's too many. You know, when you have a circumstantial case, it's like eventually there's too many circumstances. Like, yeah. There's too many. Yeah. I don't know. I definitely think she was in on it. Or, I don't, her, or her mama and her friend and her sister-in-law were like her ride or dies. And that she was like, look. I am feeling this man, and no. what are you about to do? If your mama, if you, okay, your brother has kids. Let's just take him. If he was like, I'm out. I don't I don't want, I'm just going to disappear. We're not going to know. My kids are not going to know where I am for their whole lives. I'm going to miss them graduating high school. I'm going to miss them turning 16, learning to drive, getting their periods, well, all like, the things. She might not have known it was going to be 10 years. What What she think was going to happen? Well, she might not have known. I'm just saying. She might have been like, no. got caught up in the thing. He was like, look, we only doing it for a little bit and then we go back. No. I'm just saying. No. I'd be like, where are you? I'm coming to get you. Yeah. That's why I wouldn't call you though. That's why I call my mama. Because she'd be like, oh, girl, get that D. No, she wouldn't. 
Well, see, yeah, because I wouldn't have kids, so, but yes, you would. That's why I use your brother, for example. Yeah. <laughs> but they didn't have the relationship that me and her did. Nobody on the planet has a relationship y'all did. <laughs> Weirdo. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> oh, gosh. But, you know, like, if we don't know what her husband and her situation was, but if she's like, I'm going to come back in a year or we're going to come back in a few months or he said I can come back whenever. I don't know what, we don't know what the calls were. I'm just saying. We, there were no calls because she didn't call her husband. No, not between oh, her call, husband. Oh, yeah, yeah, The yeah. calls between her hat girls. I'm just saying if he, if she said, look, again, he's played her. So if he said, look, we're just going here, but then like you can leave whenever you want to or whatever. I don't know. And she thinks she can come back, whatever, or we're, we're going to get your kids down here. I don't know what he's told her. To come, because whatever, people do weird things for the D. So Truth. There's that. But also, again, we don't know what her husband and her relationship was like. So Very true. Like, she might have been leaving a bad situation for a bad situation and whatever. But if she said, I'll be back, and when I come back, just back up my story. And they're like, we got your back, girl. I don't know. I don't know. I don't think. Three people, I don't think. If you had the one, if you had one, ride or die, they'd be like, okay, okay, I'll back your story up. Three, uh uh-uh. A sister-in-law, uh uh. Mm -mm. No, I'd only tell my mama. Because you would tell me, don't do it, girl, don't do it. Tiffany couldn't keep the secret. She could keep a secret. Tiffany can keep a secret. No, Tiffany could keep a secret in a vault, but also when pressed about said secret from like a policeman... She gonna crack. She gonna she she be like mm, mm, like that little lip quiver that she does that little uh-huh. chin thing. Mm-mm, she can't lie. That's the thing. She can keep a secret, but she can't lie. Well, y'all let us know what y'all think because I think she was part of it. I think she was too. And if we both agree on it, it's yeah. right. <laughs> we never agree on shit. <laughs> I really do think. I don't know if she if she thought it through. You know, again, we don't know the situation because. I don't, I don't know. But then she went back to that situation. So. Yeah, I don't, I think that she was just young and she had these kids and she wanted some excitement. Yeah. And she fell for a con man. I mean, he yeah. was kind of attractive at the time. You know, he's an older guy, kind of, a, you know, a little silver foxy-ish. Kind of, uh, we, really. I had to see a I picture I mean, not really, I'm... but kind of. Uh-huh. Now she's going to backtrack because she's going to show me a picture. We all know about that other guy that she was like, he's a cutie. And no one else agreed with her. Speaking of said picture, did y'all go see that picture she posted in the Facebook group <laughs> of her in the security cam? Because we talked about it last episode. Ugh, please go see it. He looks like the the person who says, uh, I don't always drink. But when I do. Yeah. He kind of does. He looks like the wish version of that guy. He does look very artsy. Okay, but this is when he, right before he died. Oh, yeah. But he old there. Well, he's 62, but he looks way older than 62. 62 is not old, but... Yeah. No, I didn't say there. I don't like old pop-pop there, but... uh, <laughs> He could pop it a couple of times at the first picture you showed me. Okay, ma'am. <laughs> I know we talked about Patreon earlier, but remember, there's other ways to support us. One, you could always support the sponsors of the podcast, but two, you could always like, review... Share the podcast on all the things. Mm-hmm. But more importantly, remember. Creep it real. And, and don't, don't get, get scared. scared.